Uh, we're in a series right now called Reasonable Objections. Really, this uh, series is kind of aimed at people who are maybe not quite sure about faith. Um, maybe you're kind of new to faith and you're not exactly sure if you're willing to sign on to all the things um, that Christians, you know, believe. And, and then on top of that, uh, you're, if you're a part of this culture, you know that, um, that Christians are hateful bigots. And, uh, and, and it's important to find out why we're so awful. Uh, and, and, and really, what I, my, my, I think what we're going to see today, obviously I'm being silly there, uh, you're not going to find a more loving, welcoming group of people than, than right here. But, uh, but apparently, apparently that's not the case when you, uh, that's what, not what the media thinks. So that's cool. Um, but, uh, it's important for us as Christians to know why we think what we think about sexuality. And I guarantee you that by the end of today's, uh, today's talk, you will know exactly why Christians believe what they believe about sexuality. And um, on top of that, whether you're a skeptic, whether you are a person, um, an activist, LGBTQIA plus person, that's how you identify, whether or not you are a uh, longtime religious uh, believer, what, wherever you are, I think you're gonna, we're going to have some very practical, very um, maybe challenging things to say about where we're headed next. Um, so with that, uh, let's, just, let's just put it out there. If, if, um, if we're kind of, the skeptics coming in, and the, the question is very simple, really the statement. It's, I can't believe in a God who doesn't accept everyone, especially LGBTQIA plus persons just as they are. Uh, if you're not familiar with the acronyms, uh, I do teach this um, at, the, at the graduate level um, in, in, from a theological perspective, so um, I, I read this literature a fair bit. But LGB, that's a lesbian, gay, bisexual. T is trans. Um, it used to be transsexual, now transsexual, transgender. Q is for queer. That's typically people who don't, uh, they identify as like being on a, on a, a spectrum or their, their sexuality or gender is fluid. I is intersex. Uh, that's Persons who have an ambiguous biological um, gender. Uh, it's a very rare condition, um, but it's, it's real. Uh, people will be born with um, two uh, sets of genitalia, things like that. Uh, a is asexual. That's uh, people who do not, um, they, they just don't identify as somebody who's interested in any sex at all. Um, and they're, and that's, that's kind of how they see themselves. So just, just be aware of those things. If you're not familiar with that, that's uh, kind of like the... The broad brush. Um, but basically, we live in a culture where it's very common for people to say, I can't believe in a God who doesn't accept everybody, especially these sex and gender minorities as they are. Well, okay, let's address that. Um, let's, let's, let's talk honestly and openly about it. And I think um, maybe once we go through this, you'll see that maybe um, your perspective about what Christians think or believe actually might be a little bit skewed. Um, and, uh, and we may have some very genuine differences, but I think it's worth kind of just like parsing them out and, and seeing where we land. So to do that, I, I want to take us through um, probably the premier passage in Scripture that kind of explains the sort of basis for, um, for the Christian view of not just uh, same-sex attraction and intimacy, but really sexuality as a whole. So we're going we're gonna to get all of it. So let's read it together. This is my translation of Romans uh, 1, 24 to 27. Uh, I, I, what, I've, what I've done here is I'm really trying to bring out the logic underneath what Paul's arguing. So there's some places where I've like added things that aren't in the Greek. They're not explicit in the Greek. They're, they're hinted at. 
Um, but in general, I've tried to, to stay very close to um, the, the Greek. You can uh, follow along the Pew Bibles um, if, if you want to, to see um, how it differs. But I think you'll see that it's pretty close. Paul says this, Therefore God abandoned them to the corrupt cravings of their hearts, shaming their bodies with each other. They traded God's truth for a lie. They worshipped and slaved for the creation instead of the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God abandoned them to degrading desires. Their women traded natural intercourse for unnatural sex. In the same way, the men left natural intercourse with women and burned with longing for each other. Men performed shameful acts with other men and took the necessary penalty for their waywardness in their own bodies. Um, before we go any further, uh, let me just say that um, Paul lives in a culture uh, that's very different from ours. It's, a very, uh, it's what you might call super-sexually liberated, okay? Uh, Paul, the Greco-Roman world was uh, renowned for, um, for just total sexual anarchy. And uh, so if this sounds a little bit harsh, please know that Paul's not being pastoral here. He's not being like, he's not, what he's trying to do is explain why he sees what he sees, Okay? Why he sees what he sees. So uh, let's go to the text. Let's, um, let's pull it apart. Therefore God abandoned them and they. Who are we talking about here? Well, uh, we're talking about Gentiles. Paul is a Jewish man. He, uh, he's, he's from a Jewish family. He's also a citizen of the Roman Empire. And he's observed all of his life the people around him who are uh, very, very different. Um, in fact, one of the most the singular ways they're different is they don't worship the same God. The, the Greco-Roman world, they, they worship very, very many gods. I've got Aphrodite here. I've got uh, Ares, I think. Um, Aphrodite was the goddess of sex. The people in the pagan world actually worshipped sex. It's an interesting fact. They, the god of, uh, Ares, the god of war, they worshipped war. Okay? Um, and, and what, from Paul's perspective, this is a very jacked up thing to do. Because sex and war, those are things that are in the world, but that's not the creator of the world, okay? That's not, that's not the boss of the world. And so the idea that you would worship something that's a part of the world rather than the one who creates it is really messed up in Paul's view and has some very serious consequences. Uh, if we can go back to the text. They traded God's truth for a lie. They worshiped and slaved for the creation instead of the creator. Uh, Paul thinks that instead of worshiping what we see around us, okay, instead of making gods out of things like sex and fertility um, and farming and, you know, war and all the different things, instead of making gods out of it, what we ought to be doing is we ought to be looking at those things and trying to figure out what God is like because, because we see them. See, Paul, he's Jewish, so he, his people, they had a special book, the Torah, and that told them what God is like. The Gentiles didn't have that. Pagan people didn't have it, but they did have the world around them. And Paul thinks what they ought to have done is look at the world around you and try to figure out what God is like based on what you see. They didn't do that, so instead they worshiped. I'm going to show you what I mean. All right, I have a picture here of a strange piece of equipment. I personally have never held one. Uh, but I have seen other people do it. I got a little quiz for you here. I have two objects. Which do you think it's more appropriate to use this thing with? <laughs> the nail. The nails. That's a hammer. Hammers go with nails. Uh, I'm not saying you couldn't use a hammer with an electrical socket, especially that sharp part. Maybe you could just like whoop. 
and just see what happens. Well, it might be kind of messed up, right? You know, the, the idea is we know when we look at a hammer, okay, we know when we look at a hammer that a hammer has purpose, okay? And the purpose of the hammer is not like <laughs> electrocuting yourself with sockets. Instead, the purpose of a hammer is for, you know, pounding nails, right? Well, the ancient people understood, and Paul understood, that the same is true of human bodies, okay? The same is true of everything in the created order, right? The created order has purposes, and we'll see this. So here's, an, here's a picture of a nose, that is a child's nose. You know it's a child because it's not filled with hair. <laughs> I, I, I confess, uh, about once every three weeks, uh, I get my nostrils waxed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know it sounds horrible, but it's... But it's uh, what? No, no, it's, it's, it's cool. It's, it's totally right. Uh, because first, you know, you're trying to smell stuff. You can't do it. There's too much in the... If ocmanscape.com, Sev Fregoso, um, one of our members, is, uh, he does that. So if you're interested, check it out. Anyway, that's off topic. Uh, le- okay, so here's it. So we're, we're stuffed up. We, you know, what are you supposed to do with your nose? I hear, again, I have two possibilities. Things you can do with your nose. One, smell a flower. The other one, shove some purple things right up your nose. Okay, now, from Paul's perspective... It's pretty obvious what a nose is for. And it's not for shoving purple things up of it. Because the nose is meant to smell stuff. It's really obvious. Just look at it. Just think about it. Think about what a, what a nose is for. Paul thinks that's the case with everything in the world. That, you know, plants are meant to receive sun and water and grow. Okay? People are, are meant to worship God in certain ways. And we're supposed to use our bodies in certain ways. Ways that shouldn't be too hard to figure out if we just kind of look at them and think about it. That's the first thing here. Note sheets. The Bible assumes that the world and the things in it have a clear purpose. A purpose. Okay? This is really important because it's going to help explain the next thing. Um, going back to the text, notice this is a very interesting way to speak here. Shaming their bodies with each other. Right now, Paul's talking about all pagans, men and women. They shame their bodies with each other. That's a very strange thing to say. This is not, by the way, talking necessarily about same-sex intimacy. This is talking about any intimacy that is outside of um, the purpose for intimacy, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, but it's an interesting thing to say, shaming. And that really is. It's uh, temazo, atemazo. It's, the, uh, it's honor, dishonor. They're dishonoring their bodies. How, how can you dishonor a body? It's a very strange thing to say, right? What does that mean to, to shame a body? Well, the, the difficulty for us is that we don't live in an honor-shame culture. Um, for us, we live in a I-do-what-I-want-and-you-do-what-you-want-and-we-all-kind-of-get-along culture. That's not the case for Paul. We have a little vestige of it um, still sort of with us. And, and I have a, an example. I have a picture here. So, so apparently my parents are at some point going to be elderly. And it's, no one's looking forward to it, least of all them. Um, but at some point, they're going to be, they're going to need help, right? And I'm an only child. But because they raised me, there's an understanding that I have an obligation to make sure that they're okay, right? And what that means is I probably shouldn't send them to some dark, you know, dusty, insect-filled, you know, asylum where they're just left to rot and never visit them. If I did that, people would be like, that's super shameful. You're the worst. Interestingly, even just putting elderly people in, um, 
in uh, homes is actually, uh, it's to, to, in Paul's day, that, they would have been horrified by that. The understanding was that if you weren't living in the same home, and, and most households did, but if you weren't, when your parents became elderly, you would invite them in, they would live with you, no matter how much you disliked them. That was just the way it was. And if you didn't do that, that was shameful. You were, because you were not fulfilling your obligation to people that you owed. Okay? They raised you. They provided for you. Even if they're irritating as all get out, you owe them to take care of them. So when Paul says shaming their bodies, what he's suggesting is that the human body has certain obligations, certain purposes. And when you don't use it that way, when you use it a different way, you're shaming it. It's, 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 it's no longer in keeping. It's as if you had taken your parents and just thrown them out. I'm like, forget you. Similarly, when the, whatever the purpose of the body is, when it's not being done correctly, you're denigrating it. You're shaming it. It's, it has this beautiful thing. It's like a hammer is supposed to hit a nail. And here you are slamming an electrical socket with it. That's no good. I think we can uh, go back to the text and we can see this. Uh, this is moving on a little bit. This, re- this reason God abandoned them to degrading desires. Their women traded natural intercourse for unnatural sex. Um, I've added the word intercourse there. Uh, I've replaced the word function. Basically, uh, Paul's using the word that we get our word physics from, physikos, Nat- nature, what's natural. Okay, He's saying, uh, you, you took what's natural, the physics of the universe, the obvious purpose of the universe, and you've traded it for something that's not natural. It's not in keeping with the, the, the ways of the universe. And he's talking about sex. Natural intercourse. You see, the human body has been made for something. And what has it been made for? What's the point of penises and vaginas and sperm and eggs? Well, it's families. That's the point. The, the, the purpose of these bodies, the purpose of sex itself, is procreation. It's to create new life. And then not only that, not only does it create new life, it also solidifies the connection between the two people who did create that life. We know this uh, now. We can actually trace the, the hormones and, and the various uh, chemicals that, that occur in the brain during uh, acts of intercourse. And what, it, what they do is they bind two people together. Now, that's really helpful. That's a really good thing. Why? Because kids drive you nuts. And if you didn't have that, you would be like, I just can't. I'm, I'm taken off. And I'm not joking here. Like, men especially are very <laughs> heterosexual, homosexual, whatever. Dudes just want to, I get that. But the, the point is, is that when you're, when you're together with, a, 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 with one person with whom you've created this, this, this family, it binds you. So that you're able to withstand, honestly, the stresses and challenges of, of life. Notice that nowhere in that did you hear, let's have fun. Right? Did, did you hear anywhere in there when Paul, Paul's sitting there thinking about Paul, by the way, is, is celibate. Paul, Paul does not, he doesn't, he's not married and he doesn't have sex. I know, it seems impossible, but it's true. It's crazy. There was a whole, like, before, before America happened, there was, like, an entire, like, tradition of people actually having control over their sexual lives. Bizarre, I know, it's crazy, hard to think about, but it's true. 
What's happened? Wait, do I have do I have the picture? Is there another picture coming up? I can't remember what I did. Okay, I want you to drop down to this picture. All right, all time greatest, all time greatest movie couple. This is this is this is not an opinion. This is a fact. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that you can't go to a movie without having like a love story? And this isn't just rom coms. All right. Like, like, even, even like the manliest, I was, I almost put up, uh, John McClane from Die Hard and, uh, and Holly, but I was like, nah, it's too much, it's right now, you can't do that. Anyway, uh, it doesn't matter what the movie is, doesn't matter where, what, there's got to be a romantic subplot. There has to be. Otherwise, people are uninterested. Because in our culture, we understand, we know that the purpose, the best thing in life, the most important thing to which everything is headed, is romance with the one. Han Solo and Princess Leia, they're like, they're like two jigsaw puzzle pieces that go together perfectly. He's an affable rogue. She's a strong, independent woman. And together they make sparks. What if? That's a bunch of propaganda. What if the fundamental assumption of our culture that the point of your life is to have a fulfilling romantic relationship is a bunch of nonsense? Now, I, I'm not joking here. I grew up believing this. I grew up believing that the point of that your life is not complete until you find the one, and then you live happily ever after. And then I started dating. And I was like, dude, chicks are weird. <laughs> like, I don't know if I can do that. And then, and then at a certain point, I was like, wait, maybe. And this was a hard moment. I remember thinking this, being like, what if love isn't about me? What if I'm not actually looking for the person who makes me feel good all the time? Then I got married, and I was like, yeah, that's definitely not it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm personally involved in, in now a decade-long unlearning of a lie that the point of, of your life is not to have sex with somebody and not to have your, like, you know, needs met by them. That's crazy. Actually, actually sex is something completely different. Sex is actually really about uh, family formation. It's crazy. Totally radical. Also totally accepted by human civilization up until about 1984. Crazy. I think I have a, yeah, there we go. God designed sex to create and connect a community. Sex is, you got to create the community. you got to procreate. That's the best way to grow a church, by the way. Uh, guys, get, get going. I'm thinking about a vasectomy, but uh, the rest of you need to get your, get your game on. We need, to, uh, we need to grow the church from the uh, inside out. It's supposed to create a community and then connect a community. Right? So it, it connects the, the two people who do the creating so that the community itself is stable and safe. Let's go back to the text. For this reason, God abandoned them to degrading desires. 
Um, that's again, that's that word shaming or dishonoring, uh, degrading. Um, in the same way, men left natural intercourse with women, burned with longing for each other. Men performed shameful acts with other men and took the necessary penalty for their waywardness in their own bodies. Harsh language. But one of the interesting things to notice here is Paul is very honest. He's, remember, he's just observing. He's not being pastoral. We'll be pastoral, but he's just observing. He's noticed that there are people out there who, for whatever reason, are not attracted to the opposite sex. Um, they're super attracted to the same sex. Um, and it doesn't seem to be something that they have any control over. That's just how they are. Um, I, uh, I, I teach um, in almost every quarter... I have at least one student uh, come out to me as either um, LGB or T, uh, and 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 really wrestling with that with their Christian faith. Right? Um, I have spoken probably now with um, you know I have relationships now with maybe a dozen or so um, men and women who uh, some of them young, some of them older, but. Uh, for whatever reason, they um, have had, they're in the church, but they're also really honest about the fact that they're super, super, super attracted to the same sex. Uh, I have a friend, her name is Heidi. She says, I'm super gay, but I super love Jesus. And what she means by that is that, not, not that she's out, you know, dating women, but that, that instead that she just isn't attracted to guys. That's just how it is. We know, um, we have quite a bit of science about this now. It's still, there's still no uh, understanding of how same-sex attraction comes about. We do know that there are some interesting correlations. Uh, twin studies are done, where twins have the same set of DNA. Uh, somewhat, somewhere between maybe about 15% of twins, will, if, they're, if one's same-sex attracted, they both will be. About 15%. So there does seem to be some genetic component. Uh, to it, but also we know um, an interesting fact, and they've done rep- replicated a bunch of studies where um, if if you have a succession of boys born to the same mother, um, the likelihood of uh, the the youngest being um, same sex attracted is much higher um, across the uh, than, than than the the earlier ones, which is it's just a, something that they've found out. Um, we do have some correlation between uh, there. It seems like there's probably something in the environment that could. But the bottom line is we don't know what it is, but it's real, and Paul's honest about it. He's like, there's some men who long for other men, not women. And there's some women who long for other women and not men. That's just a reality. Um, When I speak to my students, they'll typically say something like this. They're growing up in church, and um, right around puberty, they notice something different, that they're not into the same things as their peers. Um, and it can be a really isolating and alienating period for them. Others don't grow up in the church, and they um, notice these attractions, and they go with them. And we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, the bottom line is, uh, this, is a, this is a reality. It's not something that we have control over. It's not something we fully understand. And Paul doesn't assume that we can. He just notes that it's real. Um, and that's going to have consequences for how we um, interact with uh our brothers and sisters. The second thing to notice in, um, in, in that portion of the text, Paul has this very interesting thing where he says um, they, uh, that he's referring to, um, to same-sex attracted men, not women. It's at the very end where he's talking about oh, what we, gay males. He says they take the necessary penalty for their waywardness in their own bodies. Um, this is a 
Again, if you're a skeptic, you're like, ah, I hate this, but I'm just telling you what I know. Um, I've had several um, older men uh, in my classes who have come out of uh, the gay lifestyle. Uh, And to a person, when we have discussions about this, they'll say something along these lines. Um, What I found was that uh, being a part of the gay community was the opposite of being a part of a community. It was exploitative. Um, there was almost no uh, fidelity. Even in committed couples, the relationships were open. Um, and after 15 years, I had never felt more alone, more isolated, and more depressed than ever. And yet, still desiring to be um, in this community, in this life. This is not my words. These are the words of my students. Um, I cannot... I can't, all I can say is this is what they came to me and this is what they said. This is their reality. This is their experience. And the reason they came to church, the reason they came to faith is because they believed that there was something uh, that was really broken about um, their, their sexual lives. Um, what this suggests is when Paul says the necessary penalty for waywardness in their own bodies, the next thing your note sheets, um, Paul thinks that same-sex intimacy consumes rather than creates and connects. Okay? It's a consumptive act. It's about um, the exploitation and about, this is just, this is Paul, these are what um, my students have said. I can't speak to this personally. All I can say is that's what we're getting here. That um, in general, and I'm sure there's exceptions to every rule, um, and I don't want to deny that, uh, but in general, this is Paul's thought. Sex, uh, same-sex intimacy consumes rather than creates and connects. It's not about family formation. It's not about um, genuine connection. It's really about um, a consumption of, of, of uh, pleasure. Okay. That sucked. I hated doing that. Uh, you may not know this, but uh, I, as, a, as a pastor, um, my natural inclination is to want to make people happy. That's what I want to do. Um, and I really do not like, uh, well, I, I don't like having to be submitted to the Bible sometimes. Sometimes the Bible condemns me. It shows things about me that I don't like. It says things that I wish weren't true, but unfortunately they are, and it is. The Bible is the truth, and this is what it teaches. This is what it says sex is about, and as a result, not just same-sex intimacy, but any extramarital sexual intimacy is outside of what the Bible thinks sex is about. Sex is about making families and making a community. And when it's not doing that, it's wayward. It's messed up. And, and if we start going down this road, did you notice all the times where it said, it said twice, God abandoned them to this? But God could have like, stopped all this, but what God has done, and, and, and he, God has said, I'm going to let you do what you want to do. And he did that to the Greco-Roman world, the Gentile world. And what happened was awful. And Paul saw it. He saw sexual exploitation all around him. And he was really frightened by it. But none of this answers the question. The skeptic comes in. What does the skeptic say? I can't believe in a God who doesn't accept everyone, especially LGBTQIA plus persons, just as they are. I don't accept a God. I can't believe in that God. Dude, you made a big assumption. That ain't true. You, you don't think that God 
accepts LGBTQIA plus people just as they are. He accepts me just as I am. God didn't, God didn't say, Tom, you got to give up this, and then I'll, then I'll love you, then I'll save you. Tom, you got to repent of this, and then you can be saved. God didn't say, Tom, heaven's not available to you until you put this at my feet. He didn't say that. He said, believe in me. Believe in my son, and you have eternal life. It blows my mind that, you know, it's the Westboro Baptist Church. Love those guys. What a bunch of animals they are. They walk around, you know, with signs saying God hates whatever you know, slur they're using. And, and, and they're, they, they, they put out this idea that, oh, if you're gay or you're whatever, like, you can't be saved. You're, you're going to hell. That's nonsense. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you're doing now, what you will do in the future. If you believe, you are saved. You have life. God has redeemed you. Your destination is heaven and eternity. And that cannot be taken away. God's not going to snatch it away. You can't take it away. God's grace is deeper and more powerful than anything you can possibly imagine. God accepts every person, every person, no matter where they are, at just where they are. And, 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 and he does occasionally ask us to change but it doesn't, even if we don't, he still holds on to us. That's the message of grace. That's the message of love. If love is conditional, then it's not love. God's love is completely unconditional. God doesn't say you have to become this or I reject you. You have to become this or you didn't really trust me. God doesn't say that. God says, you trust me, you believe in me, you're mine forever, end of story. So I don't care who you are and what you deal with. God accepts you just the way you are. And it is a lie that's told outside these walls that Christians are just a bunch of bigots and they're gods. You know what? It's because they don't understand how big and gracious and loving and merciful and wonderful our God is. That nothing stands in between us and him. That's point number one. Point number two is this. Yes. Christians do have a particular view about you know, what sexuality is for and, and what it's not for. And yes, when I talk to my celibate gay students, they say things like, this is really hard. Especially those who have spent a long time um, in uh, gay, lesbian communities, by communities, they, they say having, you know, to walk a road of celibacy is brutal. And it can be really lonely. And so I'm sitting there thinking, like, man, what is motivating these people? Like, what it, like, so you're sitting there and you're, you're bummed out because you can't change, uh, not yet on the what nows. Um, you, you can't change, uh, you know, you're, the way that you're attracted and stuff, and, and yet you're convinced that, that really this is what sexuality is for, and so you're, you're walking a very lonely path. What is the, what, what's going on there? Well, what they say is they say, this life is short, and eternity is really, really long, and I want to live for that. You know, a lot of us, especially, you know, you're, you're straight, white, heterosexual, like, you know, life is like, you know, laid out for you, you know, for me, I mean, this is my experience. I, you know, sure, I have battles and whatnot, but like, but like, I, I got things pretty good, you know? Like, I got a pretty good situation. And, and, and so for me, like, I don't feel like I have to give up a whole lot 
to be faithful to God on a, on a regular basis. But the question is, if I were asked to do that, would I? If God, you know, for whatever reason, circumstances happened and said, Tom, you're really going to have to take some hits here. You're really going to have to have a rough, a rough road. Would you be willing to do it? Well, this, uh, this, this is Francis Chan. I don't agree with everything the man says, but he's right on about this. He has this great illustration. It's, he's done it many times where he gets this super long rope and he just like, you know, pulls it out. And at the very end, a little tiny little sliver of the rope, at the very end, the very beginning is a little bit of red. Just kind of like this guy. Imagine it like laid out. And Francis Chan says, look, this rope is eternity. This little tiny, this little tiny red spot, that's your human life. That's your earthly life. If it's the case that all of eternity is real, if that's true, then you got to wonder just how much this matters. Compare that to our cultural assumption that this is the only shot you get, and if you don't find the one, that perfect you know, interlocking piece that makes you happy for the rest of your life, if you don't find that, then, then it's all been for naught. And consider the difference between those points of view. And my, and my uh, students, they say over and over, they say, look, God promised me great rewards, perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect life for eternity. And he's asked me to make some sacrifices here. I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to count the cost. This is my cross and I'm willing to bear it. It's hard and sometimes it's brutally hard, but I'm willing to go. And I'm, I'm asking, honestly, mostly what I ask is for my church family to just wrap their arms around me and help me, help me get through this because sometimes it's really rough. So skeptic, you're here and you're like, you're like, ah, this is craziness, this is abusive, blah, blah, blah. But you, you're, 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 you've bought into two lies that Christians don't. You bought into the lie that the whole point of your life is romance and fulfillment through that. And you bought into the lie that this is all there is. If you uh, uh, accept both of those things, then you're right, we're horrible, business, we're, we're ruining everything. But that's not the way the universe is. Christians believe in a resurrection, eternal life. Because we believe that Jesus came back from the dead and that we too will experience eternal life with him, because we think that's a reasonable thing to believe, because we're committed to that, it, it does make sense for these people to live this way. And I would say, if you're a skeptic, examine those two assumptions. Is it true that you're Han and you're looking for your Leia? Is it true that this is all there is? Um, there may be uh, some here who are deeply committed to um, either you identify LGBTQI+, um, or you're... Um, committed to advocacy on their behalf. I hope uh, the first thing that you notice is that uh, we don't hate you. We really don't. Honestly, like every Christian I know, <laughs> we're all sitting around being like, man, I wish, they did. I wish they knew how much we don't hate them. I wish they understood that we're really nice people, that we really do love. We're really not out to get anybody. I wish that they knew that all the stuff that they see on TV and the movies is a bunch of nonsense. I wish they, I wish they would come and just, and just hang out with us for a while, just see what we're really like. And then I think they'd recognize that 
We follow a Lord who commands us to love. That's it. Moreover, if you're, um, if you're an activist or you're, you identify this way, I, I want you to know that, that we as a church are committed to some things that we agree on. We, uh, we have a missionary. She, um, she was here a couple weeks ago, and she, she, works as a, um, she works in trying to liberate women from sex trafficking in Germany. And, you know, she, we're, we're for that. There, there exploitation and violence. We're against that. We, we, can, we can ally with you on some things. Now, granted, we're going to do it from the perspective we want to save people not just from sexual slavery, but also spiritual slavery. We're going to say that we want Jesus to be a part of this, but we're, there are things that we agree on, and, and, and we, we, we should be able to partner in some ways on. We're not about hate. We're not about violence. We're not about abuse. That's not us. And if you hang out with us for a little while, I think you'll see that. Uh, next There's probably uh, some people here who are like, dude, I like this Jesus thing, but man, my brother's gay and I don't know what to do. I mean, I'm not going to go and tell him, you know, whatever. Or, you know, my sister's bi or my, my, my son, you know, whatever it is. And, and you're like, I'm not, I don't want to sign up to this because really right now I just want to be able to love and, and just, I don't want to, first off, no one's, no one's asking you to condemn anybody like that. That's not how we roll. We're not a condemning place. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. Um, but it, but if, if this is too much, and you're like, yeah, I, I like a lot of what the Bible says, but Paul, he's a little bit too much for me right here. Dude, okay. Let's take it one step at a time. Stay here, hang out, follow Jesus, get involved in the community. Don't worry about that just yet. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want your, you know, I don't want anyone to be like, well, I, I can't, I can't participate in the church. I can't be a part of faith because, uh, they're, they're, they're not fully accepting and fully affirming of, you know, LGBTQIA plus people or whatever. That is, that is not where we start. The substance of the faith is not that. The substance of the faith is following Jesus, discipling and being discipled. Come start there and we'll see how things go. Moreover, maybe you're like all in. You're like, yes. Don't take um, these truths as an opportunity to oppress or hurt. I, I, I can't stress enough how much um, my uh, gay, lesbian, bi uh, students have said over and over how many times they've been hurt by the church. People saying things in ignorance, um, just using slurs, uh, just as jokes or whatever. And, and really, like, I have a buddy, Tim, who, who said, he was like, I felt like every time I heard that, it was directed right at me, and nobody knew. Let's not use, um, let, let's, let's love. Let's be, let's be kind. And let's, uh, yeah. Next, the religious insider uh, some of us have been in church for a really long time. We're very solid in our views about sexuality. We, um, you know, we, we're very convinced you know, that Paul's right, and, and this is how it ought to be, and so we're not going to be affirming. I've I got to say this to religious insiders. Uh, I'm one of these. Um, we typically do not recognize how messy the real world is. We tend to have, like, we, we want to cloister ourselves this way. Um, here's, a, here's a fact. We live in a post-Christian world now. 
There are people who are coming in here um, who are around us who are three generations removed from any Christian teaching at all. There will be a time, religious insiders, when at, uh, you know, a lesbian couple and their kids are going to come in our doors. And you might ask yourself, what are we going to do? Well, just as a uh, sort of an analogy, I love this story. Um, when the Catholic missionaries got to um, Africa, they uh, encountered um, native peoples. And the native peoples very quickly um, converted to Christianity. And uh, there's a story of uh, one of the native chiefs comes to the priest and says, I need you to help me divorce my, my, my seven wives. Because really, I'm supposed to be married to just my first wife. And the priest was like, slow down here. Okay, you come from a pagan culture. Note that those seven wives and their children are all totally dependent on you for food and shelter. Why don't we, why don't we slow down? Let's not, let's not jump to the divorce train just yet. Uh, instead, let's, let's try to, try to work something. It's really messy. Life's messy. And if you can't handle that, religious insider, like, you're not going to be able to minister to people who have no, you know, sense of Christian faith. We have to have some ability to, like, like, wait, let's, let's slow down. I mean, sexual sin is rampant. There's plenty of sexual sin. There's pornography. There's all kinds of extramarital sex. Like, there, there's plenty of people who are in lots of different sexual sins. Let's not be like, well, that one's the worst and you're out of here. That's crazy. Instead, let's be willing to work in the mess and disciple people, bring them along step by step by step. And let's not, like, demand amazing chastity and perfection. Like, the, the moment you walk in the door, if, if that's who we are, man, that doesn't sound like Jesus. And so when we have these, it, it, it'll come, it's going to happen. Like the elders um, and the congregation, we have to work these things out together to figure out how we can be loving, how we can be welcoming, and yet at the same time hold fast to our convictions. Last, certainly not least, the questioner. Um, there may be someone here who uh, for a long time has questioned um, sexuality. Maybe uh, you know deep down that um, LGBTQ uh, is you, um, and you felt for a long time that uh, the church was a place you had to hide. Um, you don't have to hide from me. Don't hide from me. Jesus knows you and loves you, and this community, it's a community of welcome and love. And I don't want you to feel um, passed over. I don't want you to feel terrified. I don't want you to feel alone, alienated. There might be some hard things that we have to do together, and there, there might not. I mean, but, but, but come, and, and you can be you. Jesus accepts you as you. Your salvation doesn't depend on anything. His love doesn't depend on anything. And I don't want our church to be a place that, that hurts. I want our church to be a place that heals.
Um, if any of this has been challenging for you, and I know there's a lot here, and we've been going for a while, and it's probably like your brains are exploding. Um, we, this, is, this will be on YouTube. We record the audio, come back to it, spend some time with it, chew on it. The last thing I want um, to share with you is a couple of resources you might uh, want to check out. I encourage my students um, who are, uh, have a tough time to read this book, Wesley Hill. He's a New Testament professor. He's a gay celibate Christian. He's attracted to men, but he, um, based on what he believes about Scripture, he practices celibacy. He wrote this book, Washed and Waiting. It's a tremendous book. Uh, you got to check it out. Um, it'll, it'll really open your eyes and, uh, and also um, encourage your faith. Next, if you're having difficulty understanding a lot of this stuff, uh, this is Mark Yarhouse. He's a psychologist uh, from Regent uh, College Christian University in Virginia. He's kind of a pioneer of um, how to deal with sexual identity issues um, in the evangelical church. These are just a couple of his books. I've met him. He's a rad guy. I met both of these guys. They're both awesome. And they're really cool, um, and they're really faithful, and uh, they really do um, have a heart for, uh, for seeing ministry done with, um, with uh, LGBTQI plus people. So please uh, feel free to check those out. If you don't remember them, you can always ask me, and I can uh, point you in the right direction. With that, um, let's, let's pray. Uh, Estelle, I'm not gonna, we're not going to do a closing song. Uh, we're, like, way over time. So I'm just going to pray us out, and then, uh, and then uh, yeah, we'll go in peace. So let me, let me pray. Gracious God, we, um, we confess that we're, we're all of us sinful people. We're all of us um, fractured and broken. And especially in this, in this age, in this culture, um, the issue of sexuality and, and gender identity is, is just it's fraught and it's frightening and it's scary and it's controversial and, it, and it's hard. But God, we confess that you're a God of love. That you're a God who um, redeems. You're a God who doesn't let go. God, I just pray that we, um, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, our background, that um, some, something of your truth today uh, will change and transform us as we seek to be um, your people in the world. For any uh, who are questioning, any who are skeptics, um, any who are tripped out, Lord, I just pray that um, the, the love of, of Jesus will be apparent, that your, that your love is real, and it's, uh, it's not fake, and, um, and it's worth checking out, it's worth exploring. Uh, even if um, it might mean uh, having some really, really changed beliefs and changed ideas. We love you, God. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.